Well, a very good evening to you. I'd uh, like to add my welcome to Tom's. My name's Stuart Holman. I'm part of the ministry team here. And tonight I want to talk about Christmas presents. As, can we confess, has anyone actually opened their presents already? There's a few. I think it's the European tradition, uh, you know, Christmas Eve, dive into the presents early. What's not to like there? Buying Christmas presents uh, can present some tricky situations for us, some tricky moments. I personally, I like to give surprises, something that you know, I've decided upon for myself. Hopefully something that says I've thought very carefully about this person and what I'm going to buy them and, uh, you know, hope that the person will like it. Now, there's an element of risk with that, right? Because, uh, you know, there's a chance that that gift may not be well received, it may not be liked, and it may end up being re-gifted at next year's office party. So, you know, gifts say a lot about... Uh, what you think of the person to whom you're giving the gift, right? A, a generous gift shows that you esteem that person highly. Uh, maybe some you know, perfume or aftershave, and a little bit of a sort of romantic angle on that sort of a gift. Um, you know, a practical gift for your spouse, like a mop or a broom, uh, is going to say something else. Um, if, if a guy buys the girl jewellery, I think that means he's committed. I think that's what it means. Um, on the other hand, you know, the gift voucher is kind of uh, a bit lame, really. I'm not really sure how this relationship is going, right? So, and already I can see there's a whole bunch of people here who are kind of going, oh, no, um, what does my present mean that I bought? Or, oh, is that what they really thought about me? Well, look, in, in the same way, if we, uh, if we think about it carefully, the meaning of Christmas can indeed be found in the gifts, the first Christmas gifts ever given. Okay, You remember that the wise men from the East gave the first ever Christmas gifts, and, and we read about them in Matthew chapter 2. If, if you're a Bible kind of person, you can grab the Bible in your seat, you can flip it open now to Matthew 2, you don't have to. Um, but let's think a little bit about those three gifts. What are the three gifts they are? They are gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And like any set of Christmas gifts, even Jesus was given a gift that was maybe a little unnecessary, could have remained in the packaging, you know, re-gifted for somebody else. Which one of those gifts? We'll see if we can figure it out as we go through, right? So at the end of uh, Matthew chapter 1, which Tom read for us at the beginning of our service, we're told, okay, Mary has given birth to a son, a son supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit, that is, it, it is Jesus. And that sets up what's going to happen now as we dive into chapter 2. The scene shifts from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, to the capital. Okay? And at the birth of Jesus, we're told in verse 1 of chapter 2, it took place during the reign of King Herod. Um, Magi then come from the east to Jerusalem to ask, where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. And we've come to worship him. Now the Magi are probably from Babylon or, or Mesopotamia, somewhere around there. They're noblemen, kind of um, half astronomers, half astrologers, if you like, uh, half priest, half scholar. Uh, they, they would try to actually interpret the events of history by looking at the course of the stars and the planets in the sky. It was kind of half science, half magic. And uh, they arrive at Jerusalem and they're looking for the one who has been born king of the Jews. 
And instead of everyone kind of in Jerusalem going, oh, wow, this is great, and they welcome the news, instead it says that they're all stirred up. Why is that? Well, there was already someone else called the king of the Jews. King Herod had actually gone all the way to Rome and he had pleaded with the Roman Senate for them to confer upon him the title, the king of the Jews. And now here come some Babylonian astronomers looking for someone who has been born with that title, king of the Jews. No wonder Herod is disturbed and if he's disturbed, everybody is disturbed in Jerusalem. You see, history records that Herod was not a nice guy. He was extremely jealous of his position as king. And in 7 BC, he had two of his sons, his own sons, executed because he thought that they were plotting against him. A little bit later, one of his wives mysteriously dies. Then on his deathbed, he had his third son executed because he thought that that son was trying to kill him. So this is the kind of guy that Herod is. He is not nice. He is very ruthless. And he has been given the title King of the Jews and no baby born with that title is going to take it off him. So that's why Herod and all of Jerusalem is disturbed when the Magi come from the east looking for the one born King of the Jews. But that's not really the Magi's concern. Their simple question is where? Where do we have to go to find the king of the Jews. Uh, let me read to you from verse 4 again. Here's what happened next. When he, Herod, had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where was the Christ to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they know their Bible, they know their Old Testament. They've gone straight to Micah chapter 5. Now, that's a, it's, it's, a, it's a prophecy written hundreds of years earlier, promising that God would, in fact, one day provide a, a powerful ruler who will save his people Israel. So Micah chapter 5 is where they've gone. And the simple answer is right there. Okay, you just need to go to the town of Bethlehem to find the baby. But if they read that prophecy in Micah a little more carefully, there's a lot more information there about this one who is born the king of the Jews. We learn from Micah that he is going to rule in God's strength and power, not from Rome. It's not Roman power you know, that's going to do this. He rules in God's name, not in Caesar's name. He will bring security to God's people and he will bring peace. Now, we're not sure how carefully that Herod read the passage in the book of Micah, but what we do know is he's got a plan. Listen to what happens next as I read from uh, verse 7 onwards. You hear about this plan. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Now there's something that strikes me here as very, very odd. Okay? The Jewish scholars and priests are able to kind of identify the location and the birth of the, for the birth of the Messiah straight away. Yep, just go to Bethlehem, right? 
but they don't go. They stay where they are. They say, no, no, Magi, you go, find the baby, and then report back to us. Tell us about our saviour that's been born. Something strange is going on, right? Do the priests and the scholars of Jerusalem have no faith at all? Or, more likely, has Herod warned them to keep away so that his plans are not leaked because he plans to kill the child? That's what he's after. Anyway, somehow the Magi, with the help of the star, arrive at the right place at the right time with their gifts. And so we get to verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of frankincense and of myrrh. Now, we already talked about how the, you know, the gift that you give is very significant. It means something. Gold and frankincense and myrrh, very rare, very valuable uh, things to give as gifts. You would have to go to somewhere like Arabia, uh, then to Africa, and then to India to actually get all of those things together. But it is the meaning of those gifts that makes them so important. Okay, they're symbolic. Each tells us something very significant about Jesus' true identity and his mission. The first one's kind of easy. Gold, gold is for kings. It's kind of obvious. In its pure form, gold, the most valuable metal in the ancient world. With their gold, the Magi come and they pay homage to Jesus. They, they recognize his rule over them. He will be king over west and east, over Israel and the rest of the world. See, the Magi, remember, they're not Jewish. They represent the, the brightest and the best from all of the world. They even represent us, quite strangely, if you think about it. <coughs> and their gift of gold is symbolic of the future reality where all of the world will freely acknowledge Jesus as king. It's one of the claims of Christianity that many people find kind of surprising or, or un unsettling. You see, Christmas celebrates the birth of Jesus, but his birth's only important because he is the future king over all. He's the ruler of all creation, and he's born into it. It's quite astounding. So even though Jesus is the king of the Jews, that's his title, the Magi worship him as representatives of all people from every nation. That's why Matthew has kind of recorded this event in his gospel, in the account of Jesus' life. So gold for a king. Frankincense is the gift that you give to a priest. Okay, frankincense is like an aromatic yellow gum that you tap from certain trees in southern Arabia. And it was the main ingredient of the incense that was used in the Jewish tabernacle in the temple. It was sort of burnt with other substances and it would come with a cereal offering and it would make a really nice smell, something that was supposed to please God by the very smell. So in, in the choice of their gifts, the nobles of the East recognize Jesus is also a priest, someone who mediates between, between God and humanity. Okay? They're confirming that this baby will somehow make it right again for people to be friends with God. That's the role of a priest. And that's what the frankincense signifies. The third gift, myrrh. 
Uh, like frankincense, again, you farm it from trees by making cuts and uh, collecting the sap. And the sap is purified and becomes a very strong, sweet-smelling perfume. And back in the day, it was used by the wealthy as a deodorant. So there we have it. We have gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, and myrrh for a sportsman. I, I don't know. <laughs> Okay, myrrh has another use as well. Uh, it was the embalmer's essence, a preservative. So in John 19, Nicodemus bought myrrh mixed with aloes to embalm Jesus' body after it had been taken down from the cross. Okay, so myrrh and some other spices were wrapped in linen strips and wrapped around the body. And their, their job was to disguise the smell of the body as it decayed. You see, Jesus was to be the king and the priest who would die to bring his people back to God. Now, who knows if the Magi fully understood the significance of their gifts or not, but they do tell a much, much bigger story, don't they, about this baby born to Mary and to Joseph so humbly. We don't know how long the Magi stayed and worshipped Jesus. But in verse 12, we read that, Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, the Magi returned to their own country by another route, which actually allowed Jesus and his family to escape and to avoid a terrible catastrophe that would follow, triggered by Herod. Herod was not happy at all when he found out about the Magi avoiding him, but we can tell that story another day. What I'd like to do is just pause for a moment, though, and think about what we've seen from Matthew's Gospel about Herod. You see, Herod kind of tries to protect his title, King of the Jews, and he tries to hold on to his tiny kingdom, but he never can. It was never his to keep because he was never more than a puppet governor for the Romans. By contrast, though, the Magi come all the way from the east and they welcome the rule of Jesus and his coming universal kingdom. They recognize he is our king, as well as the one who is born the king of the Jews. They don't try to hold on to something that's not theirs to keep. I wonder... Would you say that you're more like the Magi or more like Herod? It's far, far better to seek out Jesus, to find out about him and to welcome him as your king than to suddenly discover that the kingdom you imagined was yours actually belongs to someone else and they've taken it back. You see, the first Christmas gifts tell us that Jesus was the king and priest who would die to bring his people back to God. Although possessing all authority in heaven and earth as God, Jesus stood like a priest between God and humanity. And he did everything necessary to bring the two back together. He did this on the cross at the cost of his own life. And so the best thing that we can do in response to all of this is to join with the Magi and worship him. 
So let's do that now. Will you bow your head and we'll pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you were born for us as our King, the true ruler of all that you have made. And we thank you that you are also our great priest, the one who stood between us and God to make things right again. And we thank you that you did that at the cost of your own life. We are so grateful to you, Lord Jesus, and we rejoice for you have come for us. We give you praise. Amen.